begin reading in verse 1, we'll read all the way through verse 7, where the third commandment is found. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments." Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Let's pray. Lord, it is our sincere intention to draw near to you this evening. It is our desire to lift you up in worship and to give you the praise that is due to your name. Lord, as we come to this sacred instruction book, we we want to do our due diligence to make sure that we are governing our lives by your rules. Lord, we realize that your name is the most important name in all of the world. And how we treat your name is representative of how we treat you. And so, Father, I pray and ask that you would let the weight of this text rest upon us tonight as we take a look at this third command that made it into this short list of commands that we know as the Ten Commandments. Lord, I pray that you'll lead and guide me tonight and fill me with your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. This third commandment is part of the first table of the law. We've been talking about that. I, I want you to have that readily fixed in your mind that when you come to the Ten Commandments, there are two divisions. The first division, Commandments 1 through 4, speak about man's relationship to God. It is the vertical relationship. This is how man is to relate to God. And the second table are Commands 5 through 10, and those are horizontal. That is how we relate to other people. And so these Ten Commandments, two divisions, uh, speak to those things. As we are thinking in that term or in that context, I would point out to you that these first four commandments also seem to encompass the entirety of a person or of a person's life. So we know that they're talking about God. No other gods before me. No graven image. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day. But as you dig a little deeper, you find, okay, this actually encompasses the entirety of my person. Think about it, have no other gods before me. That is in the heart and in the mind. Where, where do we have God? We have him in the concept of our mind. We have him in the affection of our heart. If we're going to have no other gods, then, then that deals with our mind, our soul, our psyche. The second command, make no graven image. And he says that specifically, make no graven image. That has to do with your hands and your work. He was telling these people, don't make anything that represents me or any other uh, so-called deity. And so we've got the, the mind and the heart represented in the first command. We've got the hands and work uh, touched on in the second. The third command, take not the Lord's name in vain, has to do with your mouth and your words. 
words. And so we, we have the ability to communicate, to be verbal creatures. And our words mean something. And so uh, God says, hey, when you relate to me, you're relating to me with your mind and with your heart. You're relating to me with your hands and your work. You're relating to me with your mouth and with your words. And then the fourth command on that first table is keep the Sabbath day. And this has to do with our time and with our schedule. All of life is encompassed in time. We mark it off by years and days and months and hours and minutes. And as you and I think about that, we have an allotted amount of time. And we do different things with that time. And God says, hey, look, you have to fit me into your schedule. You have to place me in the timing of your life. If you think that, that that's a grasp, I would just direct you to consider how this corresponds with Jesus' summation of the first table of the law. Do you remember? In, in the Gospels, he is approached and asked, Lord, what is the, the greatest commandment or what is the first commandment? And uh, Jesus, as, as, as uh, amazing as he was, uh, was able to answer that question, but also to encompass all of the concepts of the law. He said in Mark 12, 29, Jesus answered him and said, The first of all the commandments is here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is this is like this. Uh, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So notice how Jesus says that. The first table does deal with our relationship to God, but it also encompasses the entirety of our person. How do we love God? We love him with our mind, with our soul, with our heart, with our strength, with our lives. Every part of our life and our being is either honoring to God or it is dishonoring to God. God wants us to understand that, that this is not just a, a small compartmentalized section of our life that, okay, I've got God over here in this area, but this part of my life is disconnected from that. God's in this box, in this category over here, and I do God things over here, and then I do the rest of things over here in my life. But sadly, that's how a lot of people approach it, right? Sunday is the Lord's Day, and we give that day to the Lord, and then the rest of the week we live the way we want to, but we make sure that we give God His day. And God is saying, listen, that is not what a real relationship looks like. A real relationship is one that encompasses your entire life and everything that you do from your worship on Sunday to your work Monday through Friday to your recreation on Saturday is either honoring God or it is dishonoring God. And so in this third command, God speaks to this part of our lives uh, that, that, where we communicate our mouth, our words. As you think about that, words have meaning and words have consequences. Uh, I remember one time I was in an in a English class in college, and, and, and I can't remember what the teacher said, but she said something, and then she went on to say the exact opposite. And, and I'm not an English uh, uh, expert, and so I was trying to pay attention uh, I, I'm at a deficit coming from West Virginia, and so I'm trying to learn my first language. And so I stopped her, and I said, but what you said this and you said that. And you know what her response was? She said, oh, I was hoping y'all didn't notice that. 
<laughs> she said, I made a mistake. Well, words have meanings, right? You, you're, you're saying something. You're expressing something with your words. And you know, I have to understand that words have consequences. In this age of social platforms, man, people puke out words like they have no, no meaning or no consequence. And they do. Think about it. We can sin with our words. And we can worship with our words. We can praise God with our words, or we can blaspheme God with our words. They're not just meaningless expressions. They have meaning, and they have consequence. God's name is holy because it represents and refers to a holy God. Therefore, we must treat God's name with the utmost respect and reverence. The only way for God's name to be expressed is to be expressed through our verbal words, right? Well, I know we can write it, but in this sense, we are expressing it through our words. So if I'm going to use my words to express my concept of God and to call him by his name that represents who he is, then I've got to make sure I use right words. I've got to use right words. Not only was that the fundamental teaching of the Old Testament, as we see in the Ten Commandments, but do you realize that it is also a fundamental teaching of the New Testament, as we see it in the Sermon on the Mount? The way that the Bible begins each of the Testaments is significant. Obviously, the Old Testament begins with creation. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. We are being introduced to God. We are being introduced to God as being a pre-existent being. He was already in existence before the world came into existence. And we are also being introduced to Him as Creator. He is the one who created everything. Everything comes from Him. That is significant. That's how the Old Testament begins. That's how the Bible begins. How does the New Testament begin? It begins with the book of Matthew. And when we first meet Jesus, we are introduced to him through this Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 through the end of chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus instructs his disciples on how to pray. After this manner, pray ye. Do you remember what the very first sentence is he uttered? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. It is fundamental to the Old Testament. It is fundamental to the New Testament. Even though the, the dynamic of the law has changed with the age of grace, the fundamental basis of the holiness of the name of God and the reverence and the respect with which we are to give it has not changed. Hallowed literally means to be holy or to treat as holy. Our Father which art in heaven, your name is holy. Your name is sacred. Your name is reverent. Never was more represented in human language by three letters than G-O-D. Can you think of any other word in the human language that represents more than that little mono syllabic three-letter word g-o-d it is literally the biggest three-letter name in the world it's the biggest three-letter name of the world so small that a child can understand it. it it's humorous to me that one of the very first things that kids learn whenever you ask them a question in Sunday school or children's church is to say jesus right 
You know, that's always the answer. Well, who built the ark? Jesus. Who went to the cross? Jesus. Have you ever noticed that they start, they, they automatically, it's so easy for them to pick up on the identity of God through his name. We can break this third command that is given here in Exodus chapter 20 by profanity, by hypocrisy, and by indifference. You might sit here this evening and think, you know what, I, I, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm not really sweating the third commandment. You know, I, I, I know God, I love God, I don't take his name in vain, I don't say those cuss words anymore. There was a time in my life when I did, but I, I don't need, do them anymore. And so, uh, so I, I, I'm not just going to kind of kick back and cruise through this one, but I, I would like to peel back some layers here and, and just remind you that we can violate this command in more ways than just through profanity. We can violate this through hypocrisy and through indifference. Profanity is the primary subject. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And it is the one that everyone associates this command with, isn't it? I mean, anytime we say don't take the Lord's name in vain, we automatically think about this English swear word that is a compound of God's name and a cuss word or a, a curse word that is attached to it. That's what we think of when we think of taking God's name in vain. Let me tell you something. Language was important around my house growing up. Although my dad uh, cussed all the time, my mom was a Christian and she did not tolerate any type of language. One of the greatest lines that I ever heard Judy Hall deliver in my life, I mean it is embedded in my mind from childhood, was that my older brother, John, one time stepped in something and he used the expletive to, to say what it was. And my mom, I mean, my mom had a serious look and she sternly looked at him and she said, boy, you just had something in your mouth I wouldn't hold in my hand. I thought that is the greatest line that perhaps Judy Hall ever delivered in my life. I thought, I've never thought of that, but I love it. And, and so your mom didn't tolerate any cussing. It was not allowed. And to take the Lord's name in vain was certainly the worst offense that, that anybody could commit with their language. Uh, no matter how commonly this expletive is used in our world today, uh, in our media, in television shows, in song lyrics, we just have to remember this is a serious offense. I mean, just because abortion has been going on for almost 50 years doesn't make it any less heinous. And just because you hear God's name taken in vain quite often doesn't make it any less offensive to God. We as Christians must refresh ourselves on these things. We must be in touch with the Spirit of God on these matters and, and not become calloused and numb and hardened to these things. It ought to still be shocking to us. It, it ought to be something that gets our defenses up and our hackles up when we're around it or we hear it. In fact, this command was put to the test in the camp of Israel not long after it was given. It's given in Exodus chapter 20, 
And uh, we go on, and in the book of Leviticus, chapter 24, we find that there was a clear violation of this command. It looks as if it is the first violation of this command after it was given because, because Moses didn't know exactly what to do. God just had said, don't take my name in vain, and I won't hold them guiltless who do this. But he hadn't said what the penalty would be for any of these things. And so in Leviticus chapter 24, it happens in Moses. Moses goes to God to find out what God wants him to do about it. And so Leviticus chapter 24 verse number 10 says, And the son of an Israelitish woman, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the children of Israel. And this son of the Israelitish woman and a man of Israel strove together in the camp. They got in a fight. And the Israelitish woman's son blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed. And they brought him to Moses. And his mother's name was Shelemith, the daughter of Debris of the tribe of Dan. And they put him in ward or in jail, in a holding place, that the mind of the Lord might be showed them. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Bring forth him that hath cursed without the camp, and let all that heard him lay their hands upon his head, and let all the congregation stone him. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, Whosoever curseth his God shall bear his sin. And he that blasphemeth the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death. And all the congregation shall certainly stone him, as well as the stranger, as he that is born in the land. When he blasphemeth, the name of the Lord shall be put to death. This offense of taking the Lord's name in vain was so serious that it received the death penalty in Israel. That became the law of the land. That became the rule of the court that if somebody blasphemed the name of God the penalty was death whether they were Jewish born or non-Jewish born whether they were citizens or immigrants and I've got to tell you that is a little shocking to read because we understand death penalty for heinous crimes it makes sense for murder right a life for a life but these are just words aren't they? They're just words that were spoken in haste. They were words that were spoken in anger. They were words that were spoken in a time of, of being upset. And yet the penalty that comes straight from God is the death penalty. And as you and I wrestle with that and try to understand that and say, why would God have such a severe penalty for words? You and I have to remember that they were words of blasphemy against the highest, purest, holiest, loveliest God of the universe. It is not as if he was put to death for cursing the man that he was Fighting, There was no law in Israel for that. But there was a law against cursing the high and holy God, the creator of the universe. 
And by the way, how offensive could it be for the peon creature to curse the creator of the universe? Profanity is just one of the ways that God's name can be blasphemed. As I said, I assume that the sanctifying work of God has accomplished in your life that you've eliminated that from your vocabulary. But we need to realize that there's more ways that we can blaspheme God than just by profanity. The command states, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Vain, that word that God chose to be inspired, to be used there, means empty. It means worthless. It means false. It means lying. And so a person can also take the Lord's name in vain through hypocrisy because hypocrisy becomes a false representation of the name of God. It becomes a, a lie about God. Uh, that, that, that hypocrisy is falsely claiming the name of the Lord or doing things in His name that, that He did not sanction. Consider this with me for a, a moment. The most general, generic, universal term for Christ followers in the world is Christian. Are we not literally bearing His name? We are carrying the name of God as Christ followers. I, I'm a Christian. We say that. Are you a Christian? And literally, it is the name of God that we have taken on as our moniker, as our umbrella, as our surname. And we are going into the world as, as name bearers of God. And when we go and we do something that he didn't sanction, it is hypocrisy and it is blasphemy because what we are doing is something that is duplicitous. It is that we are saying that we have the name of God and we live by the laws of God, but then we go out and we live by our own rule and we abandon the truth of God. Where I grew up in, in West Virginia, my wife tells me that it sounds like I grew up with her dad, who is about 30-some years older than I am. It, it was just behind the times, if you will. But I recognize that some of you folks as being older than me, so maybe you can relate to this. Where I grew up, there were a lot of little country stores around. And so, I mean, we didn't have Walmart when I was a kid. We had some grocery stores, but those were in town. We lived out in the country. And the curves in West Virginia didn't just go right to left. They went up and down. And so it was a lot of work to drive from our house to town to go to the store. So you had these little mom-and-pop stores on the side of the road. And they usually had a gas station. Sometimes they did, sometimes they didn't. And they were stocked up, not just with some sodas and stuff like that, but, I mean, they had bread and different things. And, and where I lived, most of the stores, you could get an account with the store. You didn't fill out an application. You didn't have a credit card. You didn't have an ID. You didn't have anything. You had your name. And if they knew you, then you had an account in your name. And if you went in and you said, I want to put that on my account, 
then they would write up a receipt. They had a little receipt book, and they would have a copy, and they'd tear one out for you, and they would keep one, and then you would square up with them at the end of the month. And so my mom was a single mom trying to raise two kids, and so she was trying to make her dollars stretch as far as they could, so she had an account at C&J Grocery, which was just a mile or so down the road from our house. And so we could stop in there and we could get gas and we could say, Mom said, put it on my account. Or, or I could go in there and I could get a loaf of bread and I would say, put that on my mom's account, Judy Hall's account. Now, that C&J Grocery, the Cecil family, they knew my mom. And they knew that my mom was a Christian lady. They knew that my mom, she didn't drink, she didn't smoke, she didn't buy beer, she didn't do any of that stuff. And so I could go into that store and I could charge anything on her account except for beer and cigarettes because they knew that that would not be signed off in the name of Judy Hall. And so when we think about our hypocrisy, what we are doing is we are going in the name of our God and we are saying God sanctioned this. He sanctioned me to live this way or to do this or to say that. And when we go off into sin, we are in hypocrisy because we are saying God sanctioned something that he never sanctioned. And we are doing it in the name of God, whether or not we claim to or not the simple fact that we identify as Christians. And so I would ask you, are we blaspheming God by the things that we do in his name? If people know that you wear the name of God, that you bear the badge of Christian, and yet your language, even if you're not using uh, the, uh, the blasphemous word, but if you're using other language that would be considered vulgar, how does that represent your God? If you don't have control over your temper and you can lose it at the drop of a hat and say and do things that, that God won't have you to say and do, and you're carrying the name of God with you. And so I would say to you that we can violate this command in more ways than just profanity. We can do it through hypocrisy. But I would say here's probably where we, where we violate it the most often. And, and that is, I believe we can violate this command through indifference. Through indifference. Notice the third command says that we are not to take the name of the Lord in vain. Why? Because it's not an empty name. You see, that name is the richest, fullest, most representative name in all of the universe. It is jam-packed with theology and morality and ethics and ideology. I mean, it is a reverential name. And so we are not supposed to use it emptily or worthlessly. It is a hallowed name. And so anytime we use the name of God, we ought to use it with respect and with reverence. I, I, I might be a little too narrow for some people on this, but I don't think we're supposed to say things like OMG. Because that doesn't give God the respect and the reverence that he deserves. I, I, I don't think that we ought to just throw the Lord's name around flippantly because it is a meaningful name. And when I treat it with indifference, 
I believe that I am guilty of violating this command. For a scriptural text on this, would you look with me at Psalm 29, verses 1 and 2? The name of God in reference to his name, you can find hundreds of references throughout Scripture. You find them in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says in that day there'll be people that said, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name and do money, wonderful works in your name? And, and I'll, I'll say to you, I never knew you. Depart from me. We find other passages of Scripture that talk about the name of God being blasphemed or the name of God being honored. But I want to direct your attention to Psalm 29 because it expresses a fact that you and I owe something to the name of God. Psalm 29 verse 1 says, Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. If you don't have it marked in your Bible and you don't mind marking your Bible, I, I would just encourage you to underline those two words or circle them, glory do. Glory do. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever see that word do anywhere? Like when you're thinking about your daily life routine, do you ever see that word D-U-E anywhere? Well, of course, of course we see it on our bills, right? You get bills, I get bills. And it comes in and it has a due amount, amount due, D-U-E. It has a due date, D-U-E. It has a past due date. And it has a past due penalty. That little word due indicates that which is owed. Right? My bill has an amount due because I owe that to the electric company. My bill has a due date because I owe that to the credit card company. My bill has a past due penalty because I owe that to the bank that's financed my car or my home or whatever it is. I have already borrowed or used the product and now there is something that I owe that creditor or that lender. And so I would just point this out to you that we owe God's name glory. We owe God's name glory. It's not just enough that we don't ever use it as a profanity. It is that we actually owe something to the name of God. It is the glory that is due. It is the honor that is due. It is the respect that is due. It is the reverence that is due. It is the praise that is due to God. We owe it to His name. And when we treat it indifferently, we are not giving Him what is due His name. There is a verse that I read in my Bible a long time ago, and, and it has stuck with me ever since I read it. It is Isaiah 52, verse 5, and the second part of that verse says this. God is speaking. He says, and my name continually, every day, is blasphemed. Isaiah 52, 5. God says, my name continually Every day 
is blasphemed. You know what? You know what I don't have to worry about happening? Even if I don't blaspheme the name of God, you know what I, don't have to, I don't have to worry about it not happening because it's going to happen every single day. Because this planet is populated by lost, unregenerate people. This planet is populated by people who don't know God. This planet is populated by people who are still dead in their trespasses and sins and estranged from the God who created them. And they can't help but blaspheme the name of God. And then there's this minority group on planet Earth who have been redeemed, who have been given the name of God as their own. And they are the ones, the only ones, who can actually give him the glory that is due to his name. A lost person cannot give God the glory that is due to him. That is only a function of regeneration that you and I can do. And so when I think about that, I realize if I'm not giving God the glory that's due to his name, who is? The world's not. The Islamic world is not. The Buddhist world is not. The atheist world is not. The agnostic world is not. The academic world is not. The entertainment world is not. The social media world is not. If I'm not giving God the glory that is due to his name, then who is giving him the glory that is due to his name? And so I would say to you, church, as we go out into this blasphemous world, let us not be complicit in that blasphemy by profanity, by hypocrisy, or by indifference. Let's give God the glory that is due to his name. Let's seal that with a prayer this evening. Dear Lord, you know our frame that we are but dust. You know that even our very best efforts fall short at times. That even the most disciplined among us have days when their discipline wears thin. And that we, Lord, are not always what we ought to be. No doubt we have failed to always give you the glory that is due to you and that is owed to you. But Lord, I, I pray that we'd have an increased awareness from this message tonight. That we would be reminded that it's not just enough to eliminate certain words from our vocabulary, but that we has to have to purposefully choose to praise you, to honor you, to respect you, and to reverence you with our words, with the way that we address you, with the way that we speak about you, with the way that we refer to you. Lord, it grieves my heart to think that every moment of every day your name is being blasphemed somewhere in this world. And I can only hope that every moment of every day that your name is also being praised by some Christian somewhere in this world. Lord, may I be a link in that chain. May we, Lord, be a hot spot of praise as your body of Christ in this area. Help us, Lord, to give you the glory that's due to your name with the words and the ability to speak that you've given to us. Let us breathe in the oxygen and let us breathe out your praise. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.